This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 147, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, February 19th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 147. It's the Comic Reviews episode for the week of Wednesday, February 19th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. Uh, as we do every week with our odd-numbered episodes, we take a look at, back at the uh, releases from the previous week uh, and just kind of look at which comics were released and uh, you know, kind of how good they were, uh, how good a week it was. Um, I noticed as I was going through the listing of comics I was going to review for this particular episode that uh, it was predominantly a Marvel week. There are sometimes weeks where I find myself reading more DC. I just found the DC releases that I'm less interested in on the whole seem to be the ones that are being published in this particular week. Um, the first book we're going to take a look at this week, though, is A Plus X. Uh, this is issue number 17 as we near the end of the run. I'm in some ways uh, impressed and surprised that the series has continued up until issue 17 and beyond. Uh, just because anthology books just don't work a lot in in you know the current marketplace uh fans are obsessed with the idea of only reading stories that quote unquote matter and add something to the you know the general continuity and cohesiveness of a character's history and a universe's uh you know ongoing story so having an anthology often kind of goes against that because it feels like those don't matter and it's not going to be reflected in the main books it's told by oddball creative teams sometimes and it's not going to be again it's kind of referenced in the in the grander scheme of things and then it kind of makes it harder for some readers to be like well, why am i going to spend money on a story that quote unquote doesn't matter uh it's been an you know an interesting experiment it's been it's definitely had its highs and lows uh this particular issue is written by two different creative teams you have uh, the Iron Man and Brew storyline by Jeff Loveness and artwork by Paco Diaz. And then you have the Captain America and Cyclops story that has continued with Jerry Dugan writing it with David Yarden on pencils. Um, the uh, Iron Man and Brew story, uh, I was kind of predisposed not to like it, but I like Brew too much to not really love how he's been used here. Um, and I just thought it was kind of an interesting take on Brew hanging out with Iron Man. And uh, I actually really dug it. It was actually kind of a fun story, a little bit simple, but also kind of um, very charming as well. And that, to be honest, is kind of summed up the Brew character up until this point. He's very charming as a character. And something about the way that the different artists, there have been a lot of different artists illustrating that they all kind of be, are able to strike a certain chord. And that he kind of looks like this, this lovable scamp, this little kid. And you can't help to kind of root for him and be on Brew's side. Uh, and seeing him with Iron Man is kind of a fun, a fun thing as well. Uh, the main storyline, though, uh, where you have, um, you know, uh, it's kind of the flashbacks, kind of looking story at first, and you have uh, the Cadre K teaming up with uh, Captain America and Cyclops. I really personally didn't like this at all. Uh, I just found the story goes on too long. I like that they're using these characters, but at the same time, I just didn't find it that interesting or engaging and uh by the time it was over i was kind of like well glad that part is over and i should like it more especially like the classic kind of x-men and um avengers team up is kind of cool to see but again it didn't feel like it really went anywhere so i feel like the first half of the issue it probably could have given something like an eight but the second half is more like a five so i'm gonna end up giving it just a 6.5 uh for this particular issue uh next issue is amazing x-men number four 
Uh, it does have to be said that this series feels like it's moving slowly for the most part. That being said, it's a lot of fun, so it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, some books, they can strike this certain balance that even though the plot progression is relatively slow, they're able to achieve a certain sense of humor, whether it be in the artwork or the, the tone of the script, and that's what Jason Aaron's been able to um, you know, carry out here. Uh, Jason Aaron writing it with Ed McGinnis on pencils. Uh, the pencils by Ed McGinnis are just fantastic. They're gorgeous. Um, they're, I mean, you want to talk about charming. There's something about the way he illustrates Nightcrawler, which is absolutely perfect. Um, here you have, uh, Iceman and Firestar trying to escape the battles of hell. Uh, they then also have a feral uh, beast trying to attack Nightcrawler. Uh, Nightcrawler trying to get through to him, and then Beast remembering a, a classic, you know, Nightcrawler moment of old, and that brings him back into kind of regaining his senses. Um, Beast and Storm are on this ship. We find out more about the origins of the Banffs. Uh, Nightcrawler rescues Firestar and uh, Iceman, brings them back to his ship before they eventually rescue uh, Wolverine and Northstar. It's actually a great sequence where uh, Nightcrawler and Wolverine are hugging in the snow. I thought that was actually really effective, and at the very end, uh, they are kind of all joining up on this ship, and they're ready to go up against Azazel. Again, maybe not a lot of plot progression, but there's some really, really solid character moments here. Uh, the artwork is fantastic. And again, there's a real sense of humor to this. And a sense of fun. And um, a lot of comics these days just don't have that, that same idea of or sensibility of have, having fun and it just being a fun read. And I'm getting a really good fun vibe off of what Jason Aaron is putting down here. Uh, which I'm just really loving. Uh, so I can, I'm going to give this issue an 8. Actually, no, I'm going to give it an 8.5. I think it definitely goes the extra mile. Uh, again, the fact that the plot progression is relatively glacier in some ways, um, as we see kind of the same thing happening over and over again throughout the issue, I just thought it was interesting enough to still be a, a solid, solid read. Uh, next up, we have none other than Avengers World number three. Now, this is potentially my favorite book of the week. Um, I'm going to give this, oh man, this is tough. I'm going to give this a 9.5, probably one of my highest ratings to date. Uh, I absolutely fell in love with this issue. Um, I Jonathan Hickman obviously has a, a real affinity for the character of the Gorgon. He used him to great effect in Secret Warriors. Uh, I like his use of Shang-Chi. Here, it's really the entire issue is Shang-Chi versus the Gorgon. It really doesn't go much further than that. Um, that being said, it doesn't have to. Uh, the way that they write, uh, both Nick Spencer and... Uh, J Jonathan Hickman write Shang-Chi is extremely solid. He's just... There's something about the way that they write him as a character. Um, uh, it really is probably one of my best depict my favorite depictions of Shang-Chi as a character. Uh, him going up against Gorgon is awesome. Having all the just the entire should be this really well choreographed and well realized fight sequence. Uh, the artwork by Stefano Caselli is you know jaw dropping. Uh, it very much reminds me of his work. Um, previously on Secret Warriors, which again, the, they were a creative team previously on Secret Warriors, so it's nice to see that coming out. Uh, I liked how the issue is framed by uh, Shang-Chi fighting, you know, this force that he knows he cannot win, but he's channeling these, you know, these people in the past, uh, their resilience, their boldness, um, their power, and it's really, really a kind of a moving battle, but it's all for naught. And right at the end, when he is about to be defeated, he's kind of remembering that these people he's been channeling, they all ended up di dying different ways. And uh, that in you know in this moment, uh, 
He is the wind which carries us away, and he's just thrown off this island by Gorgon. Um, when you're talking about very little plot progression, there's no plot progression here. Um, you just have one very extended fight sequence. That being said, it's expertly written, uh, extremely thrilling. The artwork is just breathtaking. Um, I, I just I couldn't get through this issue fast enough. It was such a, it was just so breathtaking. It was a cinematic movie, uh, you know, kung fu movie brought to, brought to comic book life. This was great. I gave it a nine point five out of ten. Uh, this is just excellent. Uh, next up is Captain America seventeen. Uh, we continue. I guess we're, we're moving along on the Iron Nail storyline, um, and also with this weird mind bubble character. Um, this was, you know, it's kind of a, a weird issue. Uh, we have Mind Bubble begins the issue kind of screwing with Nuke before Nuke dies. Uh, kind of sad the way Nuke ends up going out. Uh, Mind Bubble, very weird character. At times I felt a little bit overwritten. Um, Mind Bubble confronting uh, Nick Fury Jr., kind of messing with him. You have Jet Black and, uh, and Steve Rogers having kind of a moment as they walk through uh, New York. Uh, then you have Captain America kind of assisting you know this one guy I forget who this guy even is but is they're attacked by some weird monks um Captain America finds out what happened to Nuke and then he also seems to find out more about what's going on with regards to Mind Bubble uh Mind Bubble is also messing with the Nick Fury to break into a shield facility um interesting I don't know I felt the issue wasn't quite sure where it wanted to go with the Mind Bubble character and I'm not quite sold on it yet um the artwork uh, again, a little inconsistent throughout. Uh, Nick Klein does a good job for the most part, but it wasn't quite all there. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, next up is none other than Daredevil 36, the last issue uh, of this particular run. Uh, this was a fantastic issue. Uh, Mark Wade, I mean, has just been brilliant on this book. Uh, Chris Samney has been probably one of the best artists to ever come on Daredevil. Uh, just in, he has such a, um, I don't know, such a classic... There's something about the artwork here is very different from what you'd expect to see in superhero comics, but in the best way possible. It's very uh, the storytelling prowess of Samney is just absolutely on display here. Uh, the issue again, not a lot, I guess, happens. You have Daredevil in in sorry Matt Murdock in court. He basically makes a gamble on confessing to being Daredevil uh, because he's trying to draw out the sons of the serpent, which ends up working. Uh, the end of the story is he ends up getting disbarred, but maybe he can still practice law somewhere else in a di on a different coast. And then uh, he decides to take off and go to San Francisco. So this is a really well done uh, kind of send off for this era of uh, Daredevil. For a lot of these Marvel Now relaunch, uh, all new Marvel Now relaunches, I don't think they necessarily have to happen. But this one, at least, it makes sense because it's going to be a tonal shift as we go from what Mark what the story Mark Wade's been telling in New York to him instead now going to San Francisco. Uh, interested to see what that book's going to feel like. Um, I hope the, the, you know, the tone of sensibility doesn't change too much. That being said, at least it's by the exact same creative team, so I have a lot of faith in what Samney and Wade can put together. I'm going to give this issue a 9 out of 10. Very solid, solid send-off for this book. Uh, next off is uh, Iron Man Annual number 1. Um, I, I don't know. I... This was kind of a weird issue. I feel like I must have missed the la something going on in Iron Man recently because I wasn't sure what was going on here with Iron Man uh, in space and attacking this character. Um, uh, I just found it not that interesting. Uh, I, it's a 
yet another Yinsen story, but involving something. I, I haven't been reading the current storyline in Iron Man, so I definitely felt like I was behind the behind a little bit because I don't know who this modernist army is. I don't know really what's been going on with Arno Stark either. Uh, I just found I didn't really care, and I feel like an issue like this in annual, I should be able to read it, kind of get an idea what's going on, and be like, you know what, maybe I should, uh, you know, give this issue a shot. Maybe this is something I should try reading. Um, instead, I didn't feel that way, and that's kind of a, I think, a problem when an annual doesn't suck you in. It's by Kieran Gillen, with artwork by I guess Martinez and Padilla, or Padilla. Uh, I'm gonna give it a five. Um, actually, no, I'm gonna give it a four. Mm, no five. It wasn't, like, the worst issue I've ever read. I just found it very disengaging. The artwork was all right, but again, I just don't care what's going on. I thought many times the story just was not nearly as strong as what the artwork was. Uh, next up is, I believe, our first DC entry this week, which is Justice League 28. Um, I'm going to give this a 7, partially because I, I think... You know, I like the idea of introducing the Metal Men. Uh, Jeff Johns does a fairly good job of kind of showing the origins of the characters, Ivan Reyes on art. But at the same time, like, okay, first of all, Ivan Reyes kills it on art. I love his take on the new Slim Down Cyborg 2.0. Uh, even the Metal Men look really cool. I just thought it kind of was trying to do too much in terms of personifying the Metal Men and how they worked as characters prior to their sacrifice uh, in this issue. Um... I don't know. I, I wanted to like this more than I did, and I think part of it is that it kind of went too fast. I think a Metal Men miniseries would have been really cool to kind of see how the characters, you know, were created. Instead, we kind of get them quickly, and then they're kind of thrown away. Um, but it looks like, I guess, we're going to see more of them in, I guess, the next issue of this uh, series. So the Metal Men will be triumphant in return. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of backstory and trying to make the Metal Men into something that they didn't need to be uh, and, and make uh, Will Magnus a little extra angsty. Uh, the artwork is brilliant. I would give it like a 4 out of 5. The story I'd give maybe a, a 2 or a 3. I'm going to end up probably going like a 6.5 for um, the overall, you know, out of 10 for this particular issue. Uh, I think the artwork by Reyes is probably the best part of it for sure. Uh, next up is New Warriors number 1. So another old part of the old New Marvel Now relaunch. Um... Man, what I don't know how I feel about this. It's, it's we got the high evolutionary is the new villain. Christopher Christopher Yost and uh, Marcus Toe are the creative team. Marcus Toe obviously being the artist. Um, you have it starts off in Colorado with uh, Nova, sorry not Nova, Justice and Speedball uh, going up against uh, I guess the Salem's or assisting the Salem Seven, um, which is all right. You have the Kane and Erasley stuff, which if you don't really know who Kane and Erasley are. This issue doesn't do a very good job explaining it. I mean, there's a one little bubble that tells you that Kane is Scarlet Spider and that Erasely is Hummingbird, but that's about it. Um, I do like Sun Girl, seeing more of her ever since she was introduced. Not introduced, but she was definitely featured in Superior Spider-Man Team-Up. Um, the characters in New Salem I didn't care much for. Um, I'm interested to see where kind of Nova comes in here. Uh, seeing the um, High Evolutionary's you know, people was kind of cool. And having the, uh, what, Fyra, Sire, Nomura show up seeking heroes is kind of cool as well. Uh, I'm interested in this, in this book for sure. So far we're seeing very disparate elements. Um, and we're not quite seeing how they're all going to come together as being a team. But, you know what, I mean, I'm definitely interested. I like, 
Um, most of the art, I like the idea that this could be a team, but again, Kane is, I think, the hardest one for me to get my, my head around because he's not in any way a team player. Uh, I like Sun Girl. The new Nemora characters kind of looks cool. Um, I like... Um, um, what's his name now? Justice and Speedball, although I think they're written a little too young at times. Uh, I like the new Nova as well. There's pieces of this book that I think are good. I just don't think it's quite there yet, but I'm definitely willing to give it another shot with the issue number two, so I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, speaking of Nova, uh, this week we have Nova 13 point now um, with that stupid uh, suffix. Or not suffix, but stupid numbering added on there. Um... So this uh, 13, Nova 13 point now, uh, it's got more of um, well, Jerry Dugan writing with Medina on artwork, and now we have, sorry, Paco Medina, uh, we have Nova teaming up with, um, with uh, Beta Ray Bill, and they have like the classic kind of you know, uh, misunderstanding and then realizing that maybe they should team up and go out into space together. Um, I found this a really fun romp as we have Nova kind of fighting against Stormbreaker, uh, sorry, not Stormbreaker, um, Beta Ray Bill before he realizes that, oh wait, you're a hero and I've been duped by the person I tried to help last time. He tries to convince his mom to let him go out into space with Beta Ray Bill and there's a great shot here where uh, it's it's clear that his mom thinks it's going to be Thor and then it turns out to be Beta Ray Bill and then they go out into space to kind of right this wrong uh, that Nova has unwittingly uh, allowed to happen. I thought it was actually a really fun uh, issue. Uh, cool to see a team up between Beta Ray Bill and Nova. Uh, I like that the misunderstanding was almost played a little bit more for jokes than it normally would be. Um, very solid. Um, 8 out of 10. Very. This book continues to be really enjoyable. I miss Richard Ryder just as much as everyone else. But uh, especially because I loved the most recent take on Nova when uh, Abner and Landing were writing that book. it was That was such a solid take on the character. And the whole world mind as being kind of a secondary um, star of that book. I do miss Richard Ryder in the, in the, in the world mind. But I, this has been a very different style of book. But it feels like what the Nova book when it first came out in what the 70s would be like if it was done today which is basically what it's what it's doing taking this kid turning him into a superhero and seeing how he deals with it um and I like that it's full of joy it's not angsty I mean it's it's kind of got a very light on angst it's a lot more fun than it is just full of angst uh it kind of reminds me how I felt of about Gravity when uh, Sean McKeever started that book and what like I think that was like over 10 years ago now uh, I really liked Gravity I and mean, he was a fantastic character and he had a sense of humor to him and it was a fun uplifting book and that's how I feel about Nova right now uh, so I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 uh, next up is Punisher number 2 I'm going to give this a 6 um, it definitely has some promise uh, I like that uh, Edmondson and Gerard's are definitely trying to do something a little bit uh, unique. They're taking him out of New York. He's in kind of fighting in the Mexico, uh, Los Angeles kind of um, worldview. Um, I like that he's kind of making friends and but and has like a contact that he's dealing with as well. He's kind of helping him out with uh, some airments. Um, it's definitely interesting. And I like that he goes ends up against Electro at the very end, which is definitely I didn't necessarily see that coming. So that was kind of cool to see, especially because Electro is going to be in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two as well as the movie Amazing Spider-Man two soon. Um, so I definitely was kind of intrigued by how he showed up at the end, but the artwork again, not quite, it's fun, not fun, sorry, it's very kind of, not even gritty, it's just more slice of life in terms of its style, um, it's not overly gussied, it doesn't overly dramatize any of the characters, uh, I gave it a six because, 
I mean, it's it's an okay book, but it's not a great book. It's not even a good like one of my favorite books. It's it's uh, it's adequate. Um, it's you know it's it's just I'm I'm kind of biased because I really loved the last take on Punisher by Greg Rucka, or not technically second last. Cause I think there's been what Punisher miniseries since then. His take was so solid and it was such a strong. Uh, way of writing the character. At times, the character didn't even have to say anything. And the way that we had the sheep, uh, sorry, the, the the female Punisher was really good too. And now, I just I kind of want to know what happened to her and why can't they kind of be a uh, a partnership again? And or seeing them together would be really cool. It just every time they do a new Punisher book, it kind of has to wipe away the last version of the Punisher and do its own thing, which I get in terms of keeping it accessible. But I just kind of miss certain takes on the on the character and the ways that he's been portrayed. Uh, next up is Supergirl 28. Um, I did not read, or at least don't think I really read, uh, the the uh, big flip book issue between Green Lantern and Red Lanterns. And I know that I think there was some of the Supergirl stuff at the end of that issue. Uh, this is written by Tony Bedard with artwork by Yilda Ray Sinar. Um, I actually thought this was really interesting. Um, I don't really know what's going on in this book. I haven't read it in a while, but I thought I'd pick up this issue and give it a shot. Uh, it was a fairly... Uh, easy to understand issue, definitely new reader accessible. Uh, you got this, you know, the skinnier version of Nova who's kind of on the hunt for this, for who he calls the uh, an imposter that I guess was in what Hawkman or Deathstroke or something like that when uh, back when Lifehell was still working for DC, um, and he's trying to get through to Supergirl here and. Supergirl and him have like a, a long protracted fight, and then finally, uh, Supergirl just kind of gives into the rage inside of her and becomes a Red Lantern. Um, the issue maybe doesn't have a lot of forward progression; it's a lot of it's in a fight sequence, but it's getting the character into a, a certain zone so that she is ready to become a Red Lantern. Um, I actually quite like this. I'm definitely interested in reading the next issue, uh, which is really high, uh, the mark of a successful comic. So I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Superior Spider-Man Team Up number ten. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. This was extremely solid, uh, really enjoyable all the way through. I don't think it had any weak spots at all. Um, I love having Chris Yost writing this with, um, what was it, Marco Cicito. Although, it's weird. If you look at the cover, it says Yost, Slinny, and Fabella. Yet when you get inside, the only person, actually none of these people are involved. Now that I, th- I thought it was Christopher Yost, it turns out it's not even Yost writing. It's Kevin Schnick, if that's even correct, because who knows now. Uh, Kevin Schnick writing with Marco Cicchetto on art and Rochelle Rosenberg on colors, who does a brilliant job in the colors. Um, the artwork by Cicchetto is really, really good as we have uh, Spider Island uh, going up again. Like, basically, you got Daredevil, Punisher, and Spider Man fighting against uh, these Spider Island minions who basically have been bought off by the Goblin and have actually turned against Spider Man. Um, and it's a really kind of interesting portrayal of. You know them having to deal with you know all these people kind of turning against Spider-Man and using his his own equipment and the idea of Spider-Man having to kind of give up uh, the time that he spent on all this tech and dumping it into the ocean so that he can kind of survive this battle and kind of showing how his ego is a really big issue and then he also realizes at the end and this is, comes before um, what we see during I think the 30 days that leads up to. Um, the current Goblin Nation, and Spider-Man realized that the Goblin has actually been involved, and uh, and he's kind of turned his people against him, and he had uh, and he didn't even realize it. And then I like the last comment is the Punisher says, "Relax, you won this battle," and Spider-Man says, "But I might have just lost the war," which was actually kind of an interesting comment to come from 
castle because he's all about the war and not necessarily the battle. But uh, really, really strong. Really dug this. Um, the artwork is just brilliant. I'm going to give this a 9. I This is just great all the way through. And uh, next issue will have, a, I guess, a long-forgotten team-up of some kind between the Goblin and Dr. Octopus. So that should be fun as kind of a flashback. It makes sense that the book is going to kind of turn backwards now because they don't really want to do any stories that are set in the here and now because of what Dan Slott's doing over in Superior Spider-Man proper. Um, so that's a 9 out of 10. Next up is Uncanny X-Men 17. Um, I found this issue extremely dull. Um, and you know, basically one character gets dumped off of the X-Men. I read this when it came out, and to be honest, I don't even know what happens now. Like, I just found that this Uncanny X-Men feels like it lacks a real sense of direction. Uh, the artwork, Piccolo is a good artist, but when I already feel like the book doesn't quite know what it wants to be and where it's going, and I haven't really bonded with the characters and understand them all that well, and then to have artwork which is really bizarre as well, um just kind of makes it harder for the book to really sink in and become memorable so for that reason i'm going to give it a five because uh, i don't think the book's memorable i don't think it's i think it's very forgettable i don't think it has a clear sense of identity uh we're just seeing these kids issue after issue but i still don't really feel like we really know them as characters um whereas you have a book like all, all new x-men where you i mean yes the it's kind of the advantage that it's characters that we know, but versions we haven't seen in so long. But I just feel like that book has such a clear sense of identity that I always kind of know what's happening and what I'm reading. Whereas here, I don't really know what the point is. And what is what is Cyclops really doing? Is anyone even looking for him at this point? Like, I just feel like there's, there's no sense of uh, tension in that book when there should be. There should be a real sense of tension of, you know, something going on, but instead it feels like it, it lacks all of that. So, I mean, it's it's really sad that this book could be so much more than it is. Uh, and the last one we're going to take a look at this week is X-Men 11. Uh, I guess technically that's 11 point now, I believe. Um, I have just, I have been such a, sorry, it's just 11, not 11 point now. Uh, it's written by Brian Wood, artwork by, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Chris Anka. And I believe there's also some Chris Mann stuff, uh, sorry, Clay Mann material in here. Although he's not actually credited, but I'm just flipping through the issue now, and I'm pretty sure there's some stuff that... Yeah, there's like a meanwhile section, that's what it is. Uh, the second half of the story is by Clay Mann, so I, th I thought that I saw his stuff. Um, I'm really enjoying this new Sisterhood arc, as we have uh, the Archaea virus, um, and they basically resurrect Selene here, as well as getting the body of Madeline Pryor. Um, I like how Karima's really like against get, you know finding Archaea. Um, I really like Sublime and Kid Omega kind of walking through the mansion here, which I thought would be really fun. I like how Lady Deathstrike definitely wants to die, and uh, here she um, stabs herself right through the chest at the end. And then you also have this meanwhile story where you have uh, Quentin Quire. So not Quentin Quire. Well, he's there, but it's more Jubilee, uh, Ju uh, Hellion, Mercury, etc., etc., going up against these Sentinels. Uh, beautiful artwork, fun story. Um, I got the idea here that Jubilee uses some of her vampire powers and then uh, uh, disappears, and then they don't know where she rematerializes. Um, Brian Wood has a very clear kind of idea of what he wants this book to be, and again, for any X Men book, I think that when it's such a clouded, sorry, crowded um, landscape of different X Men books, I think each book has to have a very clear sense of identity. And if you don't have that, why does a book exist? I kind of feel that about Uncanny X Men at this point. 
X-Men there's a very clear sense I mean not only does it have its own particular villains going through this book so it's a sisterhood so that makes it distinctive you also have the distinctive female only team which is cool um, it's just it, you know what this book is going to be and I don't know if I really know that from Uncanny X-Men so far it's been so all over the place I had a good first arc then I had the horrible stuff what I thought was horrible stuff with Magic and Dormammu uh, it got better during Battle of Adam but again it, it hasn't been consistent uh, but whereas X-Men by Brian Wood has, so I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Uh, the books I didn't get a chance to look at this week include Animal Man 28, Batman 66, Batman and Two-Face 28, um, sorry, Batman 66, I don't know what number it was, so my apologies, Batman Beyond Universe number 7, Batwoman 28, Bridge of Prey 28, Dexter Down Under number 1, Disney Kingdom's Seekers of Weird, don't know what number that was actually, I, I don't have it written down. Fables 138, Green Lantern New Guardians 28, Harley Quinn 3, He-Man and Masters of the Universe number 10, Marvel Knights Hulk number 3, Night of Living Deadpool number 3, Red Hood and the Outlaws 28, Savage Wolverine 15, Scribblenauts Unmasked, Crisis of Imagination number 2, Teen Titans Go number 2, Trinity of Sin Pandora number 8, Unwritten Volume 2, Apocalypse number 2, and Wonder Woman number 28. Now the, well, the two I was sad I didn't get a chance to read were uh, Batman and Two-Face 28, as well as uh, Harlequin number three. Not because I thought it would be any good, but because I wanted to hate on that book some more. I'm just kidding, but I just really hated the uh, the first, what, three issues we've gotten, because it was zero and one and two. Uh, looking forward to uh, February 26th for a second. Uh, just looking at the uh, highlighted, some highlighted releases that are going to be coming out shortly. Um, they include none other than, let's see, uh, Aquaman 28, which should, which should be good, Batman Superman number eight, yeah, we'll see if that's any good. Batman Dark Knight 28, as a, I think it's ending very soon. Uh, Flash 28, Forever Evil Argus number 5, which I haven't really enjoyed or really paid much attention to. Uh, Talon 16, and uh, I think World's Finest 20. Uh, over at Image Comics, you got Manhattan Projects 18. Woohoo, a new issue. It's been a while. Uh, coming out this week. And then on the Marvel side, we have... Um, a new hardcover of the Captain America Winter Soldier storyline, which is, I guess, issues, I think, basically 1 to 12 or 13, not including 10, of Edward Baker's first run. Uh, also, you have the all-new Marvel Now launch of Fantastic Four by uh, James Robinson and Leonard Kirk. Uh, you have the uh, next chapter of the Trilogy in Grey in the Gardens of the Galaxy 12. A new issue of Hawkeye finally drops in Hawkeye 15. Um, for those following Mighty Avengers, issue 7 comes out. Origin 2 debuts its third issue. Uh, Revolutionary War continues with Super Soldiers number 1. Secret Avengers number 16 ends that book, as well as the second trade, Iliad, comes out. Um, which, uh, there's going to end up being three trades for the entire run. Um, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, uh, if you've not been reading this book and you want to the, try the first trade, it's coming out this week. Uh, the next chapter of Superior Spider-Man... Uh, is coming out. That's the next chapter of Goblin, uh, sorry, Goblin Nation. That's number, issue number 28. Uh, you have Superior Spider-Man Team-Up, uh, Trade Paperback, which is Versus. I'm not exactly sure which issues that actually entails. Uh, for those who uh, did not get the old Thor by uh, by Walter Simonson uh, Visionaries or the recent Omnibus, now they're reprinting it in trade again as Thor by Walter Simonson Volume 4. Uh, you got the new chapter of Thunderbolts 22, Uncanny Avengers 17, which I'm really excited about because it's been such a so strong read uh, from Rick Remender. Uh, you have Uncanny Avengers Volume 1 in trade paperback, finally, Red Shadow. Uh, Wolverine number 2 by Paul Cornell and Ryan Stegman coming out, which 
I'm interested in. Uh, and another book I'm really excited about is X-Force by Kyle and Yost Complete Collection. Uh, I know they're doing an Uncanny X-Force one coming up soon too, so I'm excited that we're finally going to get the Kyle and Yost uh, X-Force in com- two big trade paperbacks, which is bound to be exciting. Uh, also, I believe Wolverine the X-Men is c- coming to its swan song as well before it relaunches as part of the all-new Marvel Now, but it won't be by, uh, by Jason Aaron any longer. Anyways, that is our episode. Uh, looking forward to the next episode of Comic Shenanigans, which I guess is episode 148. Uh, it's, it should be the next Talking Heroclix episode where we uh, will actually have another opening party with Leon Orlano, just like we did back in, I guess it's November, uh, for Iron Man, um, where we'll be opening up live well, live on our, on our show. And so we'll kind of get to see the, the ups and downs of opening a new set uh, on air. Uh, and then for episode 150, not really sure what it's going to be. I'm planning a, at some point a Comic Talk episode looking at solicitations for that were recently released for the, uh, I think, May uh, releases for uh, Marvel and DC. Uh, but I'm also toying with doing something else or a little bit more special for episode 150, even if it's just looking at my favorite comics with number 150 in them. Who knows? Um, but anyways, that's all in the future. So thanks for uh, joining me for episode 147. This has been Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, uh, February what is it, 19th. Uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, post in our HCRM thread, and rate and review us on iTunes. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and thanks once again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans. Bye-bye.